You know, this morning as we, um, we're going to open the Word of God, we're going to continue our series through the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 11, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there as, uh, as we begin. Uh, we're, we're, we're in this series called The Movement and talking about how God worked through the early church. And this morning, we're going to um, touch on a subject that is near and dear to my heart uh, as the family pastor here at Randall. If you didn't know that, my title changed from the youth and worship pastor to the family pastor in June. Uh, I'm still working with youth and still doing the music, but, um, you know, we wanted to um, be able to have a, a person on staff that could help coordinate some of the family ministries and things like that. And so that's why my title changed. So this morning, I hope to be able to give you a little bit about my heart, about where, um, where I believe family ministry should be in our church. And, uh, and so I hope you're encouraged this morning. And, uh, and by way of introduction, with that being said, I want to show you a picture of my family that will be up here on the screen. This is my family from uh, 12 years ago, 2008, we took this photo. And you can see myself and Denise there on the far left. And um, yes, those two little children underneath are Josh and Carly. Uh, that's them. Josh was three at the time, Carly was two. And um, you know, that's the fear of every pastor's kid is to have their dad talk about them while he's on the, on the pulpit. So there it is, my one chance I get to talk about my kids. Uh, you'll see there in the middle are my parents, Ed and Lydia. They're standing right behind my grandma Lupe, who's in the wheelchair. And uh, my grandma Lupe has passed since this photo was taken, and she's with the Lord now. But you'll see there's a variety of other people in there. We've got some cousins. We've got my uncle. We've got my brothers and sisters. My brothers and sister and their uh, wives and husbands. And there's also, um, there's also somebody there. The back row on the right side, third over, is my brother Angel. Now, my brother Angel is not really my brother. We call him Brother Angel. He's part of our family. But um, if I can just take a moment this morning and brag on my parents. When I was in 10th grade, my parents allowed my best friend Angel to come and live with us. And ever since then, he's been a part of our family. He lived with us. He graduated high school. Uh, he was part of our family. He's always been a part of our family. And that's just how we grew up with my parents just, just showing us to love people and how to love people. And if that meant our friends needed to live with us for a year or... In this case, four years, and you know, he still comes over to the house when, when at my sister's house in California where this photo was taken. Um, but I look at this picture, and like I said, I like to brag on my parents because that's a nice-looking group there um, as our family. And uh, there's been more people added to this family, more, more wives, um, more children. Uh, if we were to take another photo, this, this we'd probably have to uh, zoom out a little bit more. But this is my family. I was born and raised in Southern California. And, and I ended up here in, in western New York. Uh, amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It, it's a blessing to be here. Well, we're going to talk about this morning the family of God. Is that okay with everybody? We're going to talk about the family of God. We're gathered here. I know this is a weird time in our life, not just church life, but life in general, where we're not able to see each other. We're talking to people on Zoom. We're driving by people's houses. We're waving at people but not getting out of the car. It's just a weird time. And it's a weird time here in church to be in, in a situation like this. But it's so cool and so nice to see people actually gathered in the house of God. And if you're joining us online, you're with us in spirit today. And to be here as a family of God. And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's have a word of prayer and we're going to dig into God's word, all right? Lord, thank you so much for this time that we can open your word. I pray that you would speak to us now. And that the words you have uh, prepared and put on my heart, Lord God, would just um, be able to um, speak truth into people's life. We know that your word is truth, and so I want to convey that properly this morning. And so I just pray that your spirit would lead us. 
Thank you for the time we are gathered here today and for those who are joining us online, not able to be here in person. God, we just trust that as we open your word, you're going to speak to us and that you do have a message prepared for us from your word today. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 11. Like I say, we are continuing the series um, that we have been going through in the book of Acts. And fortunately for us this morning, we won't have to um, read a lot of the text today because a lot of the text that we would go over normally was what Brian preached on last week. You see, what happens in Acts chapter 11 is that the story that is told in Acts chapter 10 is repeated. And it's uh, like, a, you know, since we're on the theme of families, moms, dads, grandparents, uh, usually when you have to repeat something to your kids, it's usually something important, right? Have we ever been in a situation like that where we've had to actually repeat things to our children? And usually when we do that, it's our tone goes up, our volume goes up. But if we have to repeat something to our children, it's probably because something is what? Important, right? It's probably because something is important to us. We find this happening in the Bible a lot. When something is repeated in the scriptures, it's probably a good idea for us to pay attention because God is going to be speaking or saying something that's very important. Now, this story that we read last week in Acts, and that is repeated here in Acts chapter 11, it's actually told three times in the span of, three, of two chapters. All right, three times in the span of two chapters, the same story is told, and I think that might be an important key for us to pay attention to today. There's something important in this scripture that we need to look at. So let's begin. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It says, The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea <clears throat> heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Then Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. And then Peter goes on to explain here in the text what happens in chapter 10. He's in the town called Joppa. He's sitting on the roof of the house praying, and he has this vision. He has this vision where a sheet comes down from the heavens, and on the sheet are all these unclean animals that the Jewish people were not supposed to touch, eat, or engage with, right? And, and the voice from heaven says, take and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I can't do that. I, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. At the same time that, that Peter is seeing this vision, on the rooftop, there's a, there's a knock on the door, and some people come and say, hey, we're actually here looking for Peter. We've come from Caesarea. Uh, Cornelius, the, the centurion, Roman centurion, has sent us, and we need Peter to come with us. Peter puts two and two together and realizes something's about to happen here that I need to pay attention to. And he goes with these people, and he goes to Caesarea, to the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and he begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens to the Gentiles, the Romans that are there? They come to know the Lord. The Bible says that as Peter, even as Peter's speaking to them, he doesn't even give an altar call. Peter doesn't give an invitation. The Bible says as Peter is speaking, them to, the, speaking to them the word of God, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and all who were in the house believe the word of the Lord. And so we see now, if we fast forward to Acts chapter 11, verse 15, Peter reiterates that. He says, I began to speak. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, 
they being the apostles, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. And so what we see happening now through the rest of the book of Acts, all the way from chapters 11 through chapter 28, pretty much two-thirds of the rest of the book, is all dedicated to the fact that the, the gospel spreads now to the Gentile nations. You know, when you, when you think about, there's, there's a reason why God has, uh, has these, these scriptures before. There's a reason why the Bible is written the way it is, particularly the book of Acts. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it, why is it laid out that way? Right? Do, do you realize that? Um, that there's a certain structure to the book of Acts and the way it's written. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, this is what it says, and we'll have that on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Uh, when, you, when Jesus is about to leave and go to heaven, he says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if, you like, if you're like me and you like the cliff note short version of what, how books go, this is your cliff notes for the book of Acts. Right? Everything in the book of Acts follows this pattern. The first few chapters deal with the gospel being in Jerusalem. The next few chapters deal with the gospel being in Judea and Samaria. And now, beginning in Acts chapter 10 and verse 11, what do we have? The gospel going where? To the ends of the earth. And so the rest of the book of Acts is laid out that way where, where now... Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem become less main characters. And who becomes a main character? Paul the apostle and his work to the ends of the earth become the main story. And we see that the book closes with Paul in Rome. He's awaiting trial by Caesar. Not only is the gospel proclaimed to a few Gentiles throughout the different cities, but the gospel makes its way all the way to the head of the Roman Empire where Paul is awaiting trial by Caesar. And there's no doubt in our minds that he uh, proclaimed the gospel in that position. Right? So there's a reason why the Bible is written a certain way. And here we see exactly that happening, that it's laid out in a, in a way for us to understand the scriptures. Now, why would it be important that the gospel and that this book of Acts is structured this way? Well, let me put it this way. Um, how many of you remember Rocky Balboa? Do we know who Rocky Balboa Let me see a show of hands if you know who Rocky Balboa is. All right? Rocky Balboa. Okay? Now, right, every, pretty much everybody who's my age or older and maybe a little bit younger than me put their hand up. Okay? All the kids, either they weren't paying attention or they have no idea who Rocky Balboa is. Right? Okay. I was amazed several years ago when I was reading an article in, on the newspaper and, and there was, it was the article describing how the statue of Rocky Balboa, you know, remember in the movie Rocky, he climbs up the steps, he runs up the steps, and he does his little, he, he puts his hands up and he, and he jumps up and down, right? And, and it's like this iconic scene from this movie. Well, they build a statue for that, right? And, and it's been for the longest time in Philadelphia, on, they put the statue at the top of the steps where that scene actually happened. But then for whatever reason, they moved it to a different location. And, and so, so the article was explaining uh, you know, that they moved the statue. But the article had to actually explain who Rocky Balboa was. All right? It was at that point I realized I was getting old. Okay? Because at, at that point when you have to start explaining pop culture to a younger generation, I realized, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into, right? I just, you know, I've reached the point where uh, I'm going to have to start explaining things about the 80s to my children. And, and, and you know, a matter of fact, we went on this last weekend, my daughter and I, Carly, 
we were watching YouTube, and we just put on 1984 commercials. It was commercials from 1984, and it was probably like about you know like 10 minutes of just commercials, and we were just cracking up. And um, and I had, to, I had to explain to her, you know, the commercial with um, the lady that says, "Where's the beef?" Remember those things, right? Right? <laughs> right? And and you see pictures of old you know old cars and just. It, it, long story short, uh, sometimes we got to explain ourselves, okay? And this is what we see happening here in the book of Acts. Uh, we know this because um, Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts written by the same person are addressed to the same individual, a guy named Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is a weird name, right? I mean, it sounds like a, like a character from Sesame Street, right? Snuffleupagus Theophilus. It sounds like a weird name. But it's, it's a Roman dude that was alive at the time. And we know he was Roman because that's a Roman name. And we know that he was somebody important in the Roman government because the author of Luke actually addresses him as your most excellent Theophilus. So, so we understand that the book of Acts, the book of Luke's, Luke, were written to an audience that probably didn't understand a lot about Jewish culture, didn't understand a lot about things that, that the Jewish culture did or maybe even the religion. You know, a matter of fact, I just had a conversation with Josh, the piano player, and he said, you know, that's right. There's like 2,000 years of Jewish history that um, if you were Roman, you may not have known all those details. And it's so true. Just like having to describe Rocky Balboa to somebody, right? And so the author of Luke's, Luke here, I'm sorry, the author of Acts uh, has to explain himself, has to explain some things. You know, church history tells us that there was a lot of explaining that the church had to do. Later on in the first century, the church had to explain some common things that we take for granted. This afternoon, in the, later in the service, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have communion. Right, to an unbelieving world, to the, to the Roman world, the Greco-Roman world at the time, that was a strange thing to hear, that these believers, these Christians, these followers of the way, are going to drink the blood of Jesus and eat the body of Christ? That just sounds weird, right? A couple kids' ears just perked up because that just sounds weird even when you say it, right? Like, are these Christians cannibals or something? Or what's going to happen? Right? If you're a Roman, that just sounds very strange. Uh, on top of that, these Christians go around all the time calling each other brother and sister? That's just weird. Why would people do something like that? You know what makes these Christians even weirder? Is that they don't worship the Roman emperor. Did you know that in the beginning of the church, in the first couple hundred years, Christians were actually referred to as atheists because they didn't worship the Roman emperor, right? The Roman emperor was considered deity, and because Christians wouldn't say, Hail Caesar or Caesar is Lord, the Romans called Christians atheists. Sounds strange to us today as we think about it, right? Because we're removed by a couple thousand years. But there were definitely some strange things the church did. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, further as we move on through our sermon and as we get to the Lord's Supper in a minute. Right, so the author of Luke and Acts, he's explaining some of the things that the church is doing. He's letting this Gentile audience know exactly what's going on, and he's letting them know about the story of Jesus. He's letting them know about the story of the apostles and why that's important, um, that the Christian religion has now come from from, from Judaism, because that's really what happened, right, is that the, the Christianity is an offshoot of, of the Judaic religion, and, and if you're not familiar with how that happens, that would just be totally weird. All right, so 
How does that fit into what the whole Bible says? How does that fit into what all of the Bible says? Well, check this out. In our passage today, Acts chapter 11, we read that the apostles come to the realization that God has now opened the door for the Gentiles to be a part of his kingdom. Matter of fact, that's what it says in verse 18 of Acts chapter 11. So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. We take that for granted today in the 21st century that, um, that, that Gentiles are Christians because most of us in here are Gentiles, right? And, you know, if we're not from a Jewish background. We take it for granted. But at that time, this was a revolutionary thing. This seems, this, how can this be, right? And part of that is because being a Jewish person is not just part of your religion, but it's also part of your culture. And now to say that the Gentiles can have something that's part of your culture and part of your religion would definitely be re revolutionary. It would probably make a few people upset. Well, in the Bible, this is not something new. In fact, in the Old Testament, we can find several examples of where God speaks to the Gentiles or speaks about Gentiles about actually becoming part of his kingdom. Now, it's not a dominant theme, but it is definitely a theme that runs throughout the scriptures. Let me give you an example. In Isaiah 19, there's a prophecy against the nation of Egypt. And in this, in this passage of scripture, Isaiah 19, uh, verses 19 through 25, listen to what God says to the nation of Egypt after pronouncing judgment on them. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Blessed be my people, Egypt. That God calls Egypt his people. That seems strange. What about in Zechariah chapter 14? In Zechariah chapter 14, there's a description of a day referred to as the day of the Lord, where the nations will gather against Jerusalem to come to battle. God will fight the battle for the nation. And then it says this in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 16. It says that the Lord, and we have a slide for that, the Lord will be king over Jerusalem. All the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Isn't that strange? The Bible talks about all the nations of the world coming to Jerusalem and worshiping Yahweh, the God of the Jews. What about Isaiah 60? In a very similar language as we read in, in Revelation, uh, talking about Jerusalem and there not being a need for the sun or the moon because God will be its light. Let's take a look at what it says about about that in, in Isaiah 60, verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And the cool thing about this passage is that it's actually talking about the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Right? They were to be ones so holy, so righteous, so honoring to God that what? The nations would see God's light through them. You see, so all throughout the, the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture, God has always had a plan for the Gentile nations to be a part of his kingdom. In the New Testament, just a few examples we can look at include the fact that, you know, Jesus himself in, the, in Luke chapter 7 heals, heals the centurion servant. Cornelius is a, in our passage, is a centurion also. Jesus, it says, heals the, the servant of this, um, this Gentile. Luke also records in his gospel that a centurion standing at, at, at Jesus' feet as Jesus is being crucified gives testimony to Jesus' righteousness. 
And of course, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, we have Cornelius himself being discussed, where his, his whole household comes to know the Lord. So all along, we can safely say that God had this, uh, God had this purpose. Uh, Paul refers to it as a mystery. Not just to save the Israelites and, and to reveal himself, but also to save the Gentiles and to make them part of his kingdom. Well, as we move on, I want you to know this morning that it's not just being a part of God's kingdom that God, um, that God has in store for the Gentiles, but it's actually being a part of God's family. You see, I think that takes it another step, right? We can be a part of the kingdom, right? We can all be part of a country. We can have, say, we have a king or a president, or we can be part of this society, but are you part of my family? It's kind of a different level, right? A, level, a different level of, of meaning. Well, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, God actually uses this language through the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what Paul says. He says, before you came to know Christ, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, if, I don't know about you, but that is a, the gloomiest thing I've heard in the scripture. Without, without knowing God, you, are, you have no citizenship, you're a foreigner, you're without hope, and you're without God. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it actually says if you're not living in a relationship with God, you're actually being controlled by the devil. I mean, that's harsh. That's intense, right? But, Paul goes on to say, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. Can I say that? Praise God. Listen, this morning, there was no one too far from the love of God. God, God uses the example in the scripture of the, of the Gentile and the Jews. And he says, at one time you were separate, but now you're brought together by the blood of Jesus. Can I tell you this morning that you are, you're not too far away from God in whatever your life situation may be. You may think, I've sinned too much. I've not gone to church enough. I've said too many bad things to my family. I've just done too many things in my life that God would never forgive. Can I tell you right now that you are never too far away from the love of Jesus? And how do I know this? Because it says here in the scriptures that we are brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise God for the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us, dying for our sins and rising again the third day to give us life. None of us are too far away from the love of Jesus to be able to experience his love. And maybe that's you this morning. Listen, can I tell you? Listen, I don't care if you don't listen to a thing I say the rest of this morning. Please, put your trust in Christ. Put your trust and your hope in him. Acknowledge him as the Lord of your life and come to a saving relationship with him. Because if he can do it between the Jews and the Gentiles, I know that he can do it this morning in our life and in your life today. It doesn't stop there, though. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want you to hear this today because this is, this, is, this, is, this is crucial for us this morning. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in our inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you catch that? There it is. No longer are we just part of the kingdom of God. Now we are what? We are part of the family of God. He says, I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Man, there's a family of God that walks on this earth. And we should be that family of God if we're believers in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, there's a lot of theological debate on some of these issues, right? What is God? Has God forsaken the Jewish people? Um, you know, all these different promises that are in the Old Testament. Listen, that's not the point of what I'm trying to get across today. My point is simply that the Scripture reveals to us that we can be a part of God's family and that the promise that was given through the Scriptures are available for us today to know God and to love Him. We who are once far off can now know the Lord. And how does that happen? How do you become a member of the family? Well, you know, my, my brother Angel, he, he just one day just started living with us. That's how it worked. He just started living with us. We didn't have to sign papers. Some of you have adopted children. You've had to sign papers and do all that, right? Praise the Lord. My brother just started living with us. He just became part of our family. That's just the way it was. In the Bible, it says that those who are part of God's family are part of the family because not only are they just from the, the, the descendants of Abraham, but they are from the faith of Abraham. You see, the Bible says that God, um, God told Abraham his promise, and Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. By believing and having faith in what God said is how Abraham became the father of faith. This is why we sing that song, Father Abraham, right? Do we know that song? Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right arm. Should we do the rest of it? No? Okay. <laughs> For those of you who are joining us online, today is Family Sunday, and we have um, some of our children with us in the, in the congregation. So I thought that would be great just to sing that along. Some of you were singing along, and I appreciate it. Some of you weren't sure if you were allowed to sing along, but it's all right. You can, all right? <laughs> But yeah, we have, if, you have, if you are the faith of Abraham, you are a child of Abraham, and you are part of God's family. Man, I, I, that's just to me, that's an exciting thing to realize, is that God, the creator of the universe, would take the time to know who I am. Would take the time to know and, and, and allow me to be a part of his family. As I mentioned earlier, you know, being Jewish at the time was not just a religious thing, but it was actually a cultural thing, right? Like the two were tied together. And what we see happening here is that Jesus and, and the gospel at this point now makes it accessible that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it supersedes, it interacts, it, it happens regardless of your social, regardless of your political, your social, economical, it doesn't matter. You can be a part of God's family. You know, as we, as we think about what this means for us as a church, um, you know, what that means for us is that these doors to this church should always be open to any person that walks in because the gospel is open to any person. Isn't it funny how so many times when we think about doing mission trips and when we think about preaching the gospel and doing evangelism, we always put it in the context of, yeah, we should go to that place to tell those people about Jesus. Well, guess what? Those people are you and me, the people in our community, the people in our context, because the gospel is for everybody. 
and everybody needs the gospel. What does that mean for us in 2020? Well, first of all, if you've paid any attention to what I've said today, what this means is that we can trust in the promises of God. Right? Scripture all along has promised that God is a loving God who loves the entire world. And here we see that in Acts chapter 11, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles are now part of that plan, and God has made his promise come true. If you're sitting in this room today, and you have a relationship with Christ, and um, you're not a Jewish person or have a Jewish heritage, you're part of the promise of God. We can trust God's promise. And by implication, what that means is we can trust God's word because God's word has always been faithful. But secondly, this means that we can be a part of God's family. As I already mentioned, being a part of God's family comes through faith and trusting in what God has said and what God has said through his word in our need for Christ. Finally, though, what this passage reveals to us, it shows us how we should operate as the family of God. Acts chapter 2 tells us that the disciples met regularly, they prayed, they had communion, they shared things with one another, and they uh, saw an increase in, in their church because of the things that they were doing as a body of Christ. I want to put that picture back up of my family from 2008. As I mentioned, you know, my, my grandma Lupe is no longer with us, um, but in this picture I'm missing several people that were added to the family later on. Right? And, and like I said, I like to look at this picture and, and brag about my parents and look at my family and think, man, that's a nice looking group there. Some of those people have grown up. You know, but what about the family of God here at Randall Church? Do we have a are we the family of God here? Yeah, for 200 years this church has been, 196 years, right? Something like that, 194 years this church has been the family of God. Take a look at what the family of God has looked like throughout the history of this church in some of these pictures. It's a picture from 1903 of, of Randall Church. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. All right? 1903. Here's, here's some photos from 1939. Looks like some youth were having a picnic. Um, looks like a Sunday school class there. Just some other groups. Here's a picture from 1954. Pastor Lewis, if you know who, some of you know who that is. Pastor Lewis is in that picture, and so is Dot Harvey. 1954. I love this one here because look at the children's ministry in 1951. Some of you were here during that time, I know. Some of you were part of this the congregation during the time. Look at all those children there as part of the, the ministries that were happening here at the church. BBS, 1951. And finally, this one I love, this next one. 1975. Christmas service, 1975. Isn't that great? Look at all those people that are there. The family of God. I love this one because you can, you can see, I don't know if you can notice, if you're here in the congregation, behind the screens is the wood panel where we used to put uh, the hymn numbers and the scripture text. And you can see that on either side of the picture are those numbers that are there. And, and we still have those here in, in the building. They're actually still there. Um, but you can see the hymn they did. They were reading Luke chapter 1 in that passage. That's the family of God. And that's, this is the family of God at Randall Church for the last 200 years. All right, what does the family of God looks like, look like? Well, obviously, it's tangible here. It's a you know, it's a picture of, of people. But there's a spiritual aspect to the family of God that we don't want to miss. And that's that, that we love each other, 
that we serve one another, or we should at least love each other. We should serve one another. We should be involved in each other's lives. That's what the family of God does. That's what a family should be doing. And that's what my prayer is as we think about being a part of this church, being a part of what God is doing, and whatever your role may be in the family of God. I hope you're encouraged this morning. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're challenged. Maybe you're not active in the church. Get active. Get involved. Start serving. Right? Start committing your life like those people in the picture, singing in a choir, instrumentalists. We got a lot of needs in our church, serving our children, serving our youth, serving in different areas. We need people to serve at the door, greeting people. Get involved. Be a part of God's family. Let's make a difference for the gospel in our community. Let's love people with Jesus' love. And let's do it with a whole heart, just like the apostles did as they proclaimed the gospel to the ends of the earth.